Nice to see everybody tonight. So we'll have small groups a little bit later. And uh, remember, in, in your home sitting practice, you can meditate like you normally do, use the technique you normally use if you'd like. But just add in this intention or this practice of uh, seeing the activity of whatever your meditation strategy is, seeing it as a relationship or as a process of relating. So just envision, use your imagination and envision you're relating to your body, you're having a relationship with your body or you're relating to the breath or you're doing an open awareness practice and you're relating, you're having relationships moment to moment to different phenomena that are coming by coming and going. And then at the end, take a few moments like we did tonight and just then extend it. You might want to open your eyes for the last couple minutes. So you're not limiting your relationship to your body or the breath or particular objects that are coming and going, but you're you're allowing the imagination to re-arise because normally we're not intentionally activating that during our meditation time. And so we, we recall, I've got a life I have to live. I have responsibilities. I have a to-do list. There are these people. And so whatever comes up as you're finishing your meditation and you're sort of opening to all of the conceptions that we have about our lives, then right then and there, it's not so much that you're relating to that person or that job site or that to-do list, you're relating to your thoughts about all those things. But that's pretty much the same thing, actually. You know, when a thought of somebody in my life arises, the way I relate to that idea, that thought or that image, is very much how I relate when that person's there. So it's good practice to sort of take what we learn in a more simple environment of being with the body or being with the breath and then letting it go out in wider circles to the whole world or our whole world of relationship. I want to say a little bit more about uh, this uh, reflection we've been doing the last few weeks on the basic grievance pattern. We've done a couple reflections sort of from opposite points of view. One, um, just for people who haven't been here in the last couple weeks, we've been bringing to mind a particular moment, memory from a particular moment where we felt completely safe and held, loved. And then we try to notice that that feeling of love is here and now. So initially it arises in conjunction with the memory. That person really cared for me, really was there for me, really loves me or loved me. And, and then we tune into the feeling of being loved and we recognize that that feeling of being loved is here and very much independent of the memory. The memory is one thing, 
and the actual feeling of being loved or held, to whatever degree we can feel that now, is here. And that's just sort of uh, an important point that I made the first week, week one, about, you know, relationships relating, it's always here. We're relating, the relating is here in the heart, in the mind, in the body. It's not somewhere else. I have a bad relationship with that person. You know, we can externalize it, but it's when we're actually having a bad relationship, it's here. And when we're having a good relationship, it's here. And so the love we actually seek is never going to be out there. It's going to be here in the heart. And the same, the, from the other point of view, we've uh, been imagining um, some recent or maybe long ago, but maybe it's easier to bring something more recent to mind, a difficult, challenging interaction with somebody or a group of people. And the same thing where we try to, almost like tracing back, we see some difficult interaction where we got upset, maybe felt threatened in some way or not seen in some way. And then, again, isolating so that that feeling of not being loved, basically, let's just cut right to the chase, some feeling of not being loved instead of being loved, and realizing that that's here, and to some degree discerning that it's independent of that particular interaction I had with that person. That's also really important to see, to discover, that all those wounds exist independent of particular interactions that we've had. The woundedness, the experience of not being loved isn't about this interaction or this event, but it's something, in a sense, that's alive here in the heart, in the mind, in this whatever we call it. So then we're, we get a better sense of what this is. You know, there's these, there are these swirling, moving, changing, shifting psychological states. And some of those psychological states heart states, mind states, whatever we call them, have this flavor of real safety, a real sense of giving, an upwelling of the heart, a fullness, a going out, not afraid to connect, to love, to care, to appreciate. And some of these swirling, shifting psychological patterns like there's a bottomless pit of need, of fear, of terror, of whatever, you know. This alone, you know, is a real pointing out of what the Buddha means by anatta or anattas. I think more of the pronunciation, the not-self quality. Because, uh, like, who are we? Which one of those are we? <laughs> the You know, the great empty hole that can never be filled, in Buddhism, there's the metaphorical image of the hungry ghost with a huge appetite, big belly, and a little pinhole mouth. So can never satisfy the hunger. 
desire that can't be satisfied. Is that who we are? Or the wrathful God just, you know, just likes hurting, so I like causing hurt. You know, some of you relate more to that, some more to the hungry ghost, never getting the love you need, never getting what you need to be happy, to feel safe, or just wanting, wanting to destroy. Like when we hurt, we notice you want others to hurt when we hurt. So we want to see that there, there are these, there is this whole range of reality for us. And we tend to want to blame out there because there is a correlation, like when I'm in a particular, when my world looks a particular way, that particular way seems related to what just happened, what out there. But out there, whatever that is, is, is triggering something that's here. And so our responsibility is to see it here, to feel it here. So it's important for us to explore both ends of the spectrum, the, the end of real safety and a natural movement, upwelling of the heart. How can you find that experience and be completely creative? There's no right or wrong way. But once you find it, then practice being mindful, knowing that that's here. That the feeling of safety, the feeling of upwelling, and we could call it a generous heart, the generosity of the heart, the heart that's willing to give out, to share, that's here and now. It's as much me as anything is me. And then the same with the other. Because uh, in terms of relating to each other, this is what we see. And if we don't understand this full range in ourselves, then how are we going to understand our friends, our partners, our siblings, our parents, our boss, our people we supervise? We feel so betrayed when, you know, they're the hungry ghost or the wrathful God throwing power around. Like, how can you do that? Because we haven't seen it in ourselves. Well, we haven't been honest that it's here in ourselves. And so we're afraid of it. I see this all the time. You know, my important relationships and when somebody is manifesting somewhere along that spectrum and I feel threatened by it. I feel threatened by people's goodness and I feel threatened by their neediness or their sort of throwing power around. It all can threaten me. You know, anywhere, like, you would think that, you know, being around a saint wouldn't be threatening, but it can be just as threatening as being around a a rascal. And actually, we can feel uh, safer sometimes being around somebody acting out unskillfully than we are around somebody who's manifesting a lot of love and wisdom in a moment. We might feel like less guilty (laughs) being around somebody who's being a jerk. 
And it also, when we understand that spectrum, then we understand like the dynamic of relating, like what's really being asked of us to include that full range and kind of getting uh, what gets in the way of intimacy of really connecting and being relaxed with somebody who's ever, wherever they're at and wherever we're at along that spectrum. Like we, we begin to understand the challenge of intimacy. And it really, the challenge is really not appreciating that these, this personality or who we are is the swirling, shifting movement. And in any moment, it can be anywhere along the spectrum. And the same with the other person. And it's all natural. It's interesting, and um, I think in a lot of you know, relatively wise writings around relationships, they talk about this, and they talk. They they usually emphasize, like in understanding this, finding some essential core of goodness. And I think, in some ways, that's true. So I don't want to be just dismissive of that, but I think we have to be careful with any idealistic notion. And I don't think the Buddha was idealistic about, you know, the personality or the conditioned heart, the conditioned mind. And that the freedom and the skill at relating, like being a free, wise, and loving human being, wasn't so much um, uncovering an essential core of goodness as much as it was understanding the shifting, the lawfulness of the shifting, swirling movement of the personality. Like really getting a sense of the dispositions that get triggered. And understanding, so when anger is getting triggered, when that deep hole of neediness is getting triggered and is expressing itself in the moment, then the mind isn't confused by that deep sense of need. Nobody has ever been there for me. Never, ever has been there for me in a way that I could trust. Does that resonate with you? (laughs) Right? But I can feel that. I can feel some deep, conditioned truth around that statement. Or however, you know, your version of that might be. The the feeling of being unloved, not connected, not belonging, not getting what we need in the world. So, the, the reason why we want to be careful is because if we feel like if I just do this right, I'll uncover some beautiful Mark who just has a lot of love and a lot of fearlessness and a lot of patience, then we'll be, we'll be disappointed, we'll be betrayed, we'll feel betrayed. Like, well, where is that? 
perfect mark or loving being. It doesn't mean that, that the personality doesn't get more skillful or wiser or more purified, let's say, refined. But we're not expecting the personality to ever be anything but a personality, which is this shifting, swirling movement of psychological conditioning interdependently arising with whatever else is happening inside and outside at the time. It's always going to be that, that natural, shifting, swirling, conditional movement. And the only really important question is, are we understanding that more and more often? And are we using our relationships to reveal that? So one of the things I sent out uh, a while back, I think Kay did the copying of Sharon Salzberg's chapter on personality types. And then today I sent out an email. It's also up on the website, in case you're not on the email list yet. Um, An article by uh, Amy Schmidt, who is another Vipassana teacher, and uh, she's the one who wrote that book on Deepama. We now have a photograph of Deepama here in, in the community room, a wonderful contemporary saint in this tradition of practice, um, Indian woman, who was one of the teachers for some of our senior teachers, like Joseph Goldstein and Sharon Salzberg and other Western students who went to India in the late 60s and early 70s and got to know her. But uh, she wrote an article in Tricycle maybe five years ago, so I sent that out earlier in the afternoon, also on personality types you can take a look at. So in the small groups tonight, you know, we've been talking about a number of things, including the spectrum, including the experience of intimacy and what's in the way. And often what's in the way, you know, in this shifting, swirling movement of psychological states some of these states, the, you know, the, the re- repetition is coherent. It's predictable. You know, that I'll be defensive in certain situations is predictable. Or that I'll be critical in certain conditions is predictable. Or I'll be light and funny and playful in certain situations is predictable. So... You know, whatever map you might work with, you know, the more complex maps. I don't really know much about the Enneagram, but that's evidently a good example. Or a relatively simplistic map, like the three Buddhist personality types of a greedy type, aversive type, or deluded type. It's just useful to try to recognize the coherent patterns, the repeating patterns, because it just helps us understand, one, the impersonal nature of these patterns, and two, the lawfulness, like how it's all interdependent. And my greedy type, my greedy tendencies or my aversive tendencies tend to elicit this sort of response from certain people and this other response from other people and set this sort of thing in motion over here. So we're beginning to, it's like 
we don't know how to get out of the fire unless we're noticing that we're burning. So by getting the lay of the land, getting a sense of the conditioned reactions that arise in relationship to others, we get a sense of the suffering or the tension or the difficulty that arises. And then right there is the motivation and some clarity to do something differently. And again, it's not like we can immediately stop being the aversive type, but understanding it really shifts it. It makes a big difference if we're interacting with someone and in a heavy-duty way, our defensive or fearfulness or aversiveness has been triggered. It makes a big difference to recognize and maybe say it out loud. I'm having a full-blown aversion attack right now. I, th- I know theoretically... It's not about you, <laughs> but I'm on the edge. So can we deal with this later? Or something like that can be really useful, as opposed to just immediately assuming that the person is a jerk and deserves my aversion and just plowing forward in the interaction, we can do really ir- irreparable damage to the relationship and who knows to what else. So I'll just review these in case you didn't get a chance to look at them at home. I'll just mention this one point um, before I go to the personality types because we've been talking about the basic grievance pattern. This is from uh, John Wellwood's book that I mentioned earlier, Perfect Love, Imperfect Relationships. So the whole book is about unpacking the, the basic, deep, primal experience of not being loved. Because, at least this, he doesn't talk about it this way, but this is how I talk about it. The basic experience that of, of being a somebody that needs to be safe, it's unworkable. So it doesn't matter how good your parents were, you know, how quick they got there when you were crying and how quick they figured out whether you needed food or needed warmth or needed some jiggling or whatever. It wasn't perfect. And so there's this... uh, basic pattern that gets set in motion in everybody to some degree that that life isn't delivering what it's supposed to deliver. And then we deal with that in particular ways. But all of those different ways involve shutting down or closing ourselves off. So we perpetuate the, the experience or the feeling of being disconnected which, of course, is the pain that we're trying to manage. So we just make it worse. So in this uh, third chapter in his book, you know, he's been talking about the grievance pattern all along. The chapter's called Letting Grievance Go. 
And he's bringing up this point that you find in Eastern religions and the Tantric tradition, really, about how they talk about this a lot in Tibetan Buddhism, how um, there's medicine in poison. So the, the way we talk about it in this tradition of practice is we want to turn toward the pain. Right? So the poison is the pain. We think we should run away or we should wall off the poison, the pain. That insecurity, we should wall off the sense of need, or I'm going to be someone who doesn't need anybody. The sense of betrayal, well, I'm not going to love, I'm not going to fall into that trap again and open my heart, can't trust anyone. So, the basic process is having a sense that we need to find the difficulties. This is why there's a course on cultivating wholesome relationships. It's much more than how to have better friendships, how to have a better marriage, how to get along with our aging parents or heal old you know, conflicts with our siblings, learn how to train our dog <laughs> or whatever. It's really about full awakening, liberation. And all of our relationships are our teachers. That's the better way to think about it. And so, in a way, having more wholesome, loving relationships is a very beautiful, enlivening side effect of the awakening process. An inevitable side effect of the awakening process. And in a way, we get better relationships when we don't focus on them directly, but aim more toward this awakening process, this full liberation. Because part of the problem, part of the reasons that relationships don't work very well is we invest in them too much. And then we're constantly disappointed. So keep that in mind as you're working, you know, with this experience of intimacy with your body and then outward in all your relationships, including abstract relationships like the people who are on the highway with you. That's a relationship too. So we're relating all day long. Like right now, we are relating to each other in this room. Because part of uh, what keeps us from learning our lesson is we have this false idea that I'm all alone, that I'm not relating, that I'm not in relationship, I'm not responsible for who I am or how I'm relating. Isn't that true? A lot of times. And that's how we feel good. Like, oh, I'm home. We forget we're still relating to ourselves. <laughs> you know? And it's just as much a relationship as the one we had at work or had with our friend or whatever. We're always responsible for our relating, our relationship. We're never done. So it's good to think of them as teachers and it's good to recall the basic patterns. So I'll just go through them quickly just to sort of warm you up for the small groups. And I'll just read. Sharon has uh, some quotes from the Vasudhi Maga. It's a famous text in Theravada Buddhism written by a Buddhist monk named Buddhaghosa in the 5th century. 
So about 800 years after the time of the Buddha, something like that. And she's just talking about the three types. When one of greedy temperament sees an even slightly pleasing visible object, they look long as if surprised. They seize on trivial virtues, discount genuine faults. When departing, they do so with regret, as if unwilling to leave. One with an aversive temperament sees even a slightly displeasing visible object. They avoid looking long, as if they were tired. They pick out the trivial faults, discount genuine virtues, and when departing, they do so without regret, as if anxious to leave. When one with a deluded temperament sees any sort of visible object, they copy what others do. If they hear others criticizing, they criticize. If they hear others praising, they praise. But actually they feel the equanimity in themselves, the equanimity of unknowing, or you could say ignorance. When you discern the uh, the type of person, or you can discern the type of person by the posture or how they lie down when they go to sleep, One of greedy temperament spreads their bed unhurriedly, lies down slowly, composing their limbs, and they sleep in a confident manner. When woken, remember this is written a long, long time ago. When woken, instead of getting up quickly, they give their answers slowly, as though doubtful. One of angry temperament spreads their bed hastily, anyhow. Their body flung down, they sleep with a skull. When woken, they get up quickly and answer as as though annoyed. One of deluded temperament spreads their bed all awry and sleeps mostly face down with their bodies sprawling. When woken, they get up slowly saying, huh? (laughs) And there's more there. Now, you know, we're probably different. We express our temperaments or our patterns differently in different situations, but you might notice that there really are some Patterns that repeat themselves. So again, in your small groups, you could talk about basic grievance, that basic experience, however clear it has been for you in the past, of feeling unloved, disconnected. That's a really wonderful thing to talk about out loud with other people. You can talk about moments of freedom in relationships that cycle of free giving and receiving, where it felt healing and enlivening to be in the relationship. You had the sense the other person also maybe to some degree felt enlivened by the interaction, by the and of course this can happen without another person being around. The that beautiful relating. That would be a great thing to talk about. You could talk about moments of intimacy and what gets in the way of moments of intimacy, where it's easier for there to be moments of intimacy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.